Today on The Topping Show, Steven Crowder makes history and replatforms Alex Jones and more. Threads users crash by 82%. A whistleblower shows Best Buy manager training does not allow for white applicants. Twitter new ad rules rolling out. Twitter also fined $350,000 for protecting Trump. IKEA is opening up a new store in San Francisco. Minnesota has deflation through the housing market manipulation. Kevin McCarthy demands Joe Biden's bank statements. Target adds Starbucks pickup. Zoom apologizes for AI data spying. WeWork stock drops 40%. UPS on track to give drivers $170,000 per year in a mixture of pay and benefits. And Detroit's big three automotive companies versus the UAW as negotiations heat up. All of that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, don't forget, we're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August, so if you could click that button, we'd greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Target adding Starbucks for their pickup capabilities. Will it reverse the boycott? Perhaps, well, I would say most likely not. Target had a little bit of a controversy over the summer where they decided to carry some satanic merchandise. And I don't mean that in terms of metaphorical or being hyperbolic. They actually hired a designer from the UK who was a profound Satanist who actually had pins with the word and description of Satan, albeit in very poor quality. And yeah, for some reason that rubbed conservatives and some people in the middle the wrong way. They also had swimsuits which were designed for the growing market of the trans community. But having that right next to the kids stuff also didn't make many parents happy. So there's a big blowback. The boycott is not on par or the same level that we've seen with the Bud Light boycott, which is exponentially fiscally hurting that company. They just had to sell eight of their brands of the 52 in their portfolio of Anheuser-Busch and Bev. So it wasn't to that extent, but I still, anecdotally speaking, seeing their stock went down a little bit. And it looks like some people have moved away from Target. Because again, Target is a luxury. You do not need to shop at Target. It's one of those things where Walmart works just fine for all the staples you need in your life. But unfortunately, many Americans forget the difference between a necessity and a nice have or a luxury is quite different. But all of that aside, it looks like Target's trying to increase their revenue of products that actually make them money. Now, it looks like they're going to be adding Starbucks food and drink orders to more than 1,700 stores. And they'll have both in-store cafes as well as drive-up curbside service. Now, like pretty much every grocery store or hybrid store, whatever you want to call them, Crestfied has, they're struggling to get their profits back up. That's because grocery stores, in terms of an industry, their profit margins are about 2%. Which, in business, that is terrible because just a little fluctuation and you're losing money a little bit more and you're out of business. That's why, anecdotally, or just look online, there's not a lot of startups in the grocery store business. Pretty much every grocery store that Americans shop at has been around for 40, 50, 60, 70 plus years. I mean, you look at Target, they've been around for, I believe, about 90 or 100 years. They're headquartered over in Minnesota. You've got Walmart. Again, they've been in business well over 50 years, headquartered over Bentonville, Arkansas. You got Fry's Groceries, which is usually more in California. They've been around forever. They actually, same family, started the Fry's Electronics Store. And then you also have Kroger, and I believe they were all, they were, Kroger actually was before Walmart. Uh, I only know that because I read Sam Walton's book, but actually that should be enough evidence right there. 
there's not a lot of startups and they're becoming more and more computerized in terms of all the mechanization and trying to compete with each other as they have automated delivery services. But going back to the point of only 2% of the groceries, that's nothing. You can't, you can barely keep, stay, keep the lights on, yet alone, yet alone expand the company. So all these companies we've seen throughout the years, they're adding more products that are not food, but they're more profitable. That's why Walmart, you look at the store, they've got electronics, they've got clothing, they've got sporting goods, pretty much down near everything you need is at a Walmart. Same with Target, just a little bit more, well, pretty more expensive in my opinion, but same thing. They have clothing, they have sporting goods, they have automotive stuff, electronics. So they're trying to offset that. And if you look at the trends of what shoppers are doing lately, there's a big decrease on the durable products. The durable products being things that last more in a week. So all these stores are trying to really push out more profitable things. You know, Starbucks is pretty profitable in and of itself. And perhaps they'll also think they'll be able to get more of the Starbucks crowd. They've had a few stores inside Target throughout the years. And Target, they definitely need to have something drawn in the store. Because in retail, one of the hardest things of any retail establishment is getting people in the door. That's Many people would argue that's more than half the battle. Getting those incentives, getting those marketing, getting just getting the allure of having someone come to your physical establishment is increasingly difficult these days as e-commerce has flourished and more and more people are staying at home. So perhaps this will help them increase their revenue by a little bit and more importantly, their profitability as they're struggling with that as well. But in terms of the business move, I think it's a pretty, pretty good idea that people who shop at Target already probably the same demographics in terms of they don't mind spending six, 12, 18, $25 on a cup of coffee. I kid, I have no idea how much those things go for these days. I just know most, most of them are basically just a candy bar in a cup. So personally, not my cup of tea, or in this case, not my cup of coffee. Now, other interesting business news, you have Zoom apologizing for the invasive AI. Now, this is coming from the Zoom CEO, Eric Yon, and he's, he now says that companies' terms of service will change around AI. And they noted that, quote, a process failure internally that we will fix, unquote. It's a very politically correct way of saying, well, we messed up, we didn't think you noticed, we're gonna change now that you noticed because there was a public backlash. Now, back in March, Zoom actually updated its policies so to seemingly allow for the company to have extraordinary broad access to all the user data so that they could train its AI models, which in terms of a business idea, that would be extremely lucrative to them because they already have this huge user base of people who use Zoom and when it comes to AI technologies, one of the most difficult thing is gathering all the data so you can build the platforms out, you can build out the solutions. That's why Facebook was, um, rudimentally speaking, they were crawling threads or, or Facebook was trying to crawl or you know, pretty much soak up all the data they could off of Twitter so they could build out their own platform as well, incorporating the AI. So it's not too surprising that a company would want to do this, but again, it's also one of those things where people didn't buy Zoom thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna let you observe everything I do so you can make your company more profitable. If they went about it in a different way, I think more people would probably acquiesce to a discount. So if they said, hey, we're gonna we're not gonna take your facial recognition, we're just we're not gonna take your if the intellectual property of your facial configurations or anything like that. We're just gonna observe, you know, maybe how you input the text. And then we'll give you a five or $10 a month discount. If they had something like that, I think that program would be more successful as many people are looking for ways to cut their budget these days, trying to save some money. And many Americans don't care about their privacy, unfortunately. So they would probably acquiesce and go, oh yeah, $2 extra in my pocket a month. That's definitely worth my all my uh, data you can have. You can have that Zoom. So a little bit of a PR, you know, egg on the face kind of moment, but 
They're also one of the most established companies. Ironically, they're forcing their employees to come back into the physical office where they're pretty much the predominant, most, most popular company to help people enable them to work from home during the pandemic, during the lockdowns. So a little bit of irony, irony there, but we'll see if uh, the backlash decreases now that they're you know switching back and they promise not to do it again, but still not a good thing in terms of people's trust and perceptions, which with one of the prestigious brands and industry leaders in terms of communications. We'll see what the audience, we'll see how the customers really feel going forward. Other interesting business news, you have WeWork stock dropping by 40%. Now, this is, it should be too surprised because this was exactly after the company said that they, they have, quote, serious doubt, unquote, about its future existence. Now, the co-working space actually provided, they warned all the investors that they are facing losses and clients are fleeing. And they actually, in terms of the whole quote, they said, quote, substantial doubt exists about the company's ability to continue as a going concern, unquote. And again, it looks like the shares lost about 90% of their value this year. So their market cap is down to $105.5 million, which is also known as nothing compared, relatively speaking, to their peak valuation was $47 billion. So $47 billion to $105.5 million that's a astronomically drastic decrease. Now, interestingly enough, anecdotally, when I, when I speak to business owners in Texas, we're seeing a lot of people move from their traditional headquarters to using no headquarters or having a WeWork. So it is interesting to see that the, in terms of nationally, they are having more people leave the service than utilize it. Because there's some benefits to having a physical place for a business, not only just for you know the traditional tax purposes of having an address, but also you have to worry about maybe getting some physical mail. And there is also something to be said, we're having community events with the internal employees. You have some team building events. That's invaluable as well. It is interesting, but WeWork, it also is one of those instances where why can't any landlord do this with their own brand? It's, I guess there might be some benefit where you have that community feature where if you have a WeWork passport, whatever you call their membership fee, you can go to any WeWork across the United States. That's the only semblance of value that I can think of and perhaps maybe consistent designs and features that you look for. But at the end of the day, you really just need Wi-Fi, a client booth, which they do have that in their facilities. I've seen the WeWorks and they have some nice little isolation tanks or blues where you have the nice little walls around you. So there's definitely some benefits there, but overall as companies are starting to cut costs every way they can, they want to say, well, we're just gonna get rid of this. We'll get a suite at some UPS store for a legal dress. And when it comes to team building experiences, we'll just go to some type of event or venue and we'll just pay a couple thousand dollars for a one day event as opposed to having this feature. And with all the economic, economic uncertainty, 40 year hyperinflation, and all these companies not knowing what's gonna happen, a lot of them are just in a standhold with these real estate deals where, yet again, I'm glad I never invested in corporate real estate, but it'll be interesting to see, do companies go back to having a headquarters or do they just evaporate completely for having a physical presence? I personally think it'll probably be the latter, or the latter, not the former. But as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting business use, you have UPS about to give drivers $170,000 in benefits between pay and all the and healthcare and all those other things. And now the ripple effect always exists. The folks at UPS IT department, they wanna raise as well, which again, good old inflation, is rearing its ugly head because this is perhaps most 
accurately known with the McDonald's metaphor where you increase the price of minimum wage, well, McDonald's is going to have fewer employees, increase the cost of goods sold, and also just automate stores completely. Now, it looks like this is during an earnings call on Tuesday. You have UPS CEO Carol Tome, and she said by the end of the year, or by the end of its five-year contract with the Teamsters Union, the average full-time pay of a UPS worker will be about $170,000 annual pay with benefits, including healthcare and pensions. And these comments were made after UPS came to a tentative agreement to head off a potential strike last month with the Teamsters, the union that represents 340,000 UPS delivery drivers and package handlers. Now, granted, this deal has yet to be officially approved by the union members. Now, granted, that being said, they'd be, if I was in the gang, I mean union, yeah, they're all going to vote for this because from their perspective, it's going to be phenomenal. You know, the ripple effect be damned. Now, when it comes to the IT department at UPS, which again, this is going to have a huge ripple effect. This, this is anonymous reviews on a, like similar to Glassdoor.com, but the IT department are posting reviews on UPS, uh, this is profile on these companies' um, review sites, and they're saying, quote, this is disappointing. How is it possible that a driver makes much more than an average engineer in research and development? Unquote. That's very darn true. They also went on to say, to get a base salary of 170K, you now need to know how to work as hard as the engineer. This sucks. Yeah, it's one of those things where, imagine going to college to get an engineering degree, spending, you know, I don't know, dollars $300,000, when at the end of the day, you could, could have went and became a driver. Now, I'm not saying being a driver is easy. For many years, they didn't even have air conditioning. They're long hours. You have to wear those silly looking shorts and it's physically demanding. I mean, very few jobs in the private sector are easy, well, exception of unionized jobs in many cases. But this is going to have a, it's one of those things where the company is almost like a hostage. Because if they have a strike, it is one of the largest postal care or um, parcel carriers in the world, including the United States. So just one day of them not working, that'd be have a huge disruption in services. And all the customers, they'd be all pissed as well. Now, Granted, they probably would be more prudent to look at the situation and go, if we approve this, how much is this going to cost to ship a parcel? This is also going to hurt a lot of independent business owners because most of the stores, when you go to the UPS store, it's a franchise model. So all of their costs are going to go up as well. So it's going to disincentivize people to ship. People are going to ship fewer items just inherently as the cost goes up exponentially. And I can't help but wonder how close are they trying to put... It's, if their engineering department isn't trying like hell to automate most of these tasks, they are now. Because again, $170,000, that's an astronomical number. And again, these companies are starting to compete with Amazon. You're seeing this the automotive industry is competing with the Teslas of the world. If, if the CEO, my three cents, it used to be two cents, but for your hyperinflation, gotta make it three cents. I should be charged four, but I'm a generous man. I'll just do just three cents today. When it comes to my three cents, what the CEO of UPS should be doing is, again, ideally not have a union because he's kind of like a divorce lawyer. Once you get a union third party involved, like a union president, it's almost always negative, coercive, and I've never seen it improve the quality of a product or an environment or an ecosystem relations with the corporate office. But if I was the CEO of UPS, I would just be frank with the Teamsters or the, um, the union and say, here's the situation. We're competing with Amazon. Amazon is getting their own corporate jets for flying packages. They're getting their own corporate fleets with all the, all their parcels delivering. There's a pseudo frenemy relationship because yes, UPS does a lot of deliveries for amazon.com, 
But look at Amazon's five or ten year plan. They're looking. They're building out their whole ecosystem. They're friends. They're frenemies today. They'll be enemies tomorrow. And it's one of those things where you gotta start thinking. All the profits they're making now with UPS, they need to be reinvesting that into how to compete and eventually beat Amazon. Or are they just hoping they might get bought out by Amazon? It's one of those very precarious situations where it sounds good, but already the whole co every cost is going to go up with this agreement. And I don't think a lot of people are thinking about the ripple effect of how this is going to affect not just the, all the salaries of all the UPS employees and all the departments who, if you have someone in accounting who's making $95,000, they're just going to quit and they'll become a driver. It's going to have huge ramifications. And I'd be darn, I'd be darn concerned if I was a, a shareholder, but thankfully I'm not. I just reinvest in my own company, but I digress. We will see where they go from here. Going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Steven Crowder making history by replatforming Alex Jones and more. Now this is Steven Crowder. Also he's a very famous stand-up comedian, political commentator, and his show is famously called Louder with Crowder. One of my favorite segments being Changed My Mind, where he goes to universities and pre they it's usually not like throwing, um, a little bit like throwing, what do you call it? Holy water onto someone who's not holy and they melt. It's kind of, it's some of the interactions are like that when the college students read some of the facts and they just have their minds blown. A very entertaining and as well as educational thing that he does. Now, recently, if you look at the media industries, he went away or he left part with Blaze Media, which is another Texas-based media company, uh, more conservative. And it looks like he's teamed up with Rumble, which is one of the fastest growing alternatives to YouTube, as my company will start posting on there as well. And it'll be interesting to see this video production of this announcement was legendary. I don't know how much they're spending for their graphics department or their, their editors or their film crew, but it's on par with what you see in Hollywood. So I thought it'd be... Interesting. We'll play a cup first intro and then we'll play the Alex Jones segment. Have you been compromising day in and day out? No compromise is necessary. Within two days, this video got 186,000 views and on 14,000 likes. Now that being said, for a while, he's been more pop, gaining more popularity on Rumble as well. And I'll go one further. Where no compromise should ever be expected from you. It is time to match intensive. Every single one of you watching or listening right now is to flip a switch in your head where you will make those sons of bitches embarrassed that they ever even thought of asking that compliment. Phenomenal music and the graphics on the screen are on par with Hollywood or better. And that's the founding fathers looking down and going, what the f*** are you people So that's Nick DiPaolo, another person he's replatforming. Re You're talking about the same people that Brian, really Comedian Brian Callum. Against misinformation who this is Mr. Gunslinger, very famous YouTuber, obviously pro Second Amendment. Why can we not condemn evil behavior? This is the first ever network on Rumble.
begins with the replatforming begins in awesome font. Now, interestingly enough, it's also noted that Crowder recently surpassed $7.5 million in subscriptions on Rumble within the first couple months, which is astronomical. So $7.5 million in subscription payments. That's an astronomical amount of success. Now for the, I was going to say, one of my favorite parts, reintroducing Alex Jones has been an enigma on the internet for years is every social media company ostracized him all at once. Took the guns. Took the guns. Took the guns. Hugo Chavez took the guns. Hugo Chavez took the guns. And if you try to take our guns, 1776 will commence again. Sticking with Facebook, it is one of several companies today that are limiting the content of far-right podcast InfoWars. Facebook, Apple, and YouTube have all taken down content from Jones and his InfoWars channel. Is all done at once as well, so there's no way it wasn't coordinated my Three cents. It used to be two cents, but for your inflation, gotta charge three cents. Although it's free to click that subscribe button. Whenever I talk about Alex Jones, my wife will not let me into the house until I've been deloused. Anyone who believes in Alex Jones and believes these theories, you really gotta go get help. Alex Jones. That, that person, the Young Turks host, he actually had the devil under Alex Jones as a font description. Has been ordered to pay $965 million. That was from 
known Stephen for more than 10 years. Used to, you know, beg him to call my show. Always a really busy guy. And he's been popular forever. And, but we kind of knew each other. But as soon as I got deplatformed, he saw as a threat. And he said, I want you on immediately. The day after, when everybody else was running away, including my friends, he was like, no, this is a danger to everybody. I see what this is. And then again, everybody else was shutting down during the lockdown. I didn't. He didn't. And so it's that type of instinctive courage that I really respect. We've become good friends the last three or four years since then. I, I love coming up here. I love the energy. And let's be clear. InfoWars isn't going anywhere. Our Austin operation, my regular show that's on talk radio everywhere. But we've been talking for years about some type of collaboration. And he had to you know, move from where he was to, 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 to trailblaze and do this. And, and what's incredible is it's succeeding. But, but, but here's the key. We don't just have the left and the globalist and big tech and the intelligence agencies. We now know that we're censoring and controlling and suppressing election information and vaccine information and open border and human trafficking information, fentanyl info and Afghan withdrawal info. It's the big think tanks that Crowder alluded to earlier that are so-called conservative that have billions of dollars over the last decade to buy and control the populist, nationalist, common sense capitalist movement that this country was founded on that met at the apple of the world's eye. Can't help but think of Fox News, which for most of my life, everyone thought was hardcore right wing. And then a couple months back, they fired their most popular talent, Tucker Carlson, and more and more whistleblowers show that, yeah, they're not conservative at all. And their ratings are crashing precipitously to basically nothing. Ironically, Tucker Carlson now gets more hits on Twitter where he platforms the show than he ever got on Fox. And so we're not just challenging the left and, and Hollywood and big tech. We're challenging conservative Inc. And it didn't make sense to some people that weren't you know, clued in or on the inside of what really goes on six months ago. And when Crowder was making a big deal about the other big conservative platforms that are conservative, they interface with YouTube and Facebook and, and before Twitter was sold to Musk and literally sit around in smoky rooms laughing at the conservatives. And I've been around it. It's disgusting to people that have authenticity, like Stephen Crowder and this incredible crew. This, these are real people. No, yeah. these are real people right here. Gerald Morgan, all of these comedians, all these people have turned down tens of millions of dollars to tell the truth. Uh, I mean, you know, there's people out there like Ted Nugent lost probably $100 million the last six, seven years supporting Trump. It's been in the news. Just no more stadiums, no more nothing. It's over for him. So, so, so there's not many people like that. Probably should get Ted, Ted Nugent over here. But, but <laughs> what I'm getting down to is we need an independent network that isn't controlled. And I'm sorry, Twitter is better than some of the other so-called conservative or, or open platforms, but it's still not even halfway free. Yeah. He's still not on Twitter as well. That's my favorite litmus test when I meet someone to see if they believe in free speech. You just ask them, should Alex Jones have a platform? Because again, that's perhaps the most the best test to see if someone really believes in free, free speech or if they just say, oh, yeah, 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 they pretend to like free speech. Because, again, really doesn't protect its, its type of speech that is common knowledge or common agreement really doesn't need protection because it's common. There's no controversy. Freedom of speech really means defending the opinions that are not popular, whether you agree or not. And it used to be a philosophy that every American used to believe and hold dear to their heart that I might not agree with you, but I'll fight to the death for your right to speak. I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. Every American used to believe that, what a country is founded on. And yet, unfortunately, throughout the years, more and more people either pretend that they like free speech, but they don't really, or some are all out embracing censorship, calling for the political enemies to be censored, which is morally vacuous to say the least. 
halfway free feels better than no free. And I'm not even criticizing Twitter. It's just it's just not free. So many really effective people that expose communist China and certain owners of Twitter's connection to it, they're all still censored. But not Mug Club. And I know the plan that Crowder has, he's told me about it, he's told you a lot about it, is to literally bring on hundreds of providers, and I guess the long term, even thousands, and then use the great folks at Rumble that really are free and open to energize this. So people always say, hey, if you want your own internet, why don't you build it? Or you want your own platform, build it. Well, it's very hard to do, but he's... Especially, especially when they shut it down. Never forget what happened to Parler, where they foolishly put their platform on a cloud platform they didn't control. And they decided, and the app stores just blacklisted them overnight, and they crashed basically nothing. Been able to do it because of you, the Mug Club members, and that gives him that independence. So you literally aren't just the tail of the dog; you're the whole shoot match. You're the whole dog, the teeth, the brain, you know, the the feet, the the guts, the heart, the brain, the eyes and ears with the investigative unit, everything. You are this operation, and if you get excited about this, it's game over for the New World Order. Listen, we came and founded a new country to get away from tyranny. We weren't perfect, but became the freest, greatest thing ever. So it's that the, the Israelites left Egypt uh, uh, under Ramses II, and they've now dug up all the tablets and the history, and that's a true story. It really happened. It's on the Egyptian hieroglyphs as well. So Stephen Crowder and the Mug Club and this whole operation is literally leading everybody out of Egypt, and we don't have to wait 50 years or 40 years to cross the River Jordan, folks. We're doing it right now. It's already launched, out of the gate successful. That is a true American success story of dedication, work, not backing down, and it challenges the entire system. So when this is successful, and it already is, but I mean super successful, it will then be the example to all the other big so-called conservative populist talk show hosts who don't like serving the globalists but are too scared to, to buck them to let them then have the courage to follow us. So this is true leadership and history that you're watching right now today. Now, now here's another key point. If you look at the 40 plus billion that Anheuser-Busch uh, has lost with the entire debacle uh, with Bud Light. That's a great example of us saying. And just a couple days ago, they just sell eight of their brands of the 52 that were in Anheuser-Busch in Bell's portfolio. We're going to withdraw support of people targeting children and sexualization and this whole transhumanist movement. That's what it is. I mean, even Yuval Noah Harari at the WF says, oh, this is just the beginning. If you'll accept two men having a baby, you'll accept cyborgs, all the rest of it. Clones, animal, human hybrids, which is all out in the open now. But instead of just boycotts, what about boycotts? And that's what this is, folks. You get all these great shows, all these great memberships, all these great things, and know that you're part of history, bucking the system, American Revolution, 1776, Worldwide 2.0. So the boycotts are great. Pull your money out of the globalist system, but then spend it with the institutions and organizations that are standing for freedom. If Anheuser-Busch just lost, I think the number I saw last week was $41 billion. It just keeps going up and up. That stock, in terms of their revenue, they're they're down. Depending on what report you read, between 390, 395, or 400 million dollars in sales for their fiscal Q2 evaporated compared to the same fiscal Q2 last year. 25% market share in all of their products. Think about what would happen if people spent a billion on Mug Club instead of 10 million. Blast sales figure is actually a little bit better. Is 25.9% decrease in and in Bud Light specifically, we had Yangling up by 22%, and I believe Miller Light was 19.6%, Coors was 16% up. Everyone is up except for Bud Light. Million or whatever, because this guy's putting almost everything back into the operation. 
because it is about the excitement of standing up for liberty and connecting to our forefathers and foremothers that created this country. And, and that's what this is about. You know, Stephen kept saying, it doesn't make business sense to not roll over and make the hundreds of millions and solve the system. But wait, if the whole country and the world's gone, that money doesn't matter. It makes perfect business sense because our business is prosperity and freedom and justice and Americana yeah. 1776 worldwide. <laughs> So that's what this is. That's what this is all about. So, so we've been talking for you know six months about doing this, and I said, well, I'm gonna keep Infowars going, the great crew we do. And they thought, and I said, what's your idea? And I had my idea already written down. They said, a once a week show, build off that, then start building some other shows. And with the funding we get from this, we'll be able to hire back more reporters, do more investigative stuff on the ground at the border and at Bilderberg and at Davos and at the RNC and DNC. So this is a match made in heaven. Everybody needs to tell your friends, your family, your neighbors, hey, you want a second American revolution? You don't like what's happening? Well, this is the group, this is the organization that is the best there is. We're not up here saying, you know, we're Superman. We're not up here saying we have all the answers. But you know what? It's, it's not bragging when it's fact. People need to recognize that this operation, what Steven Crowder and his crew are doing, is the best, open, freest, biggest thing there is in the world in opposition to the New World Order. And hey, you tune into my show, you're going to get... You're going to get hardcore analysis and over-the-horizon information on what the globalists are planning next, because that's all I do is study it. It's hardcore. Don't slit your wrist after you watch it. But the good thing is you can then tune in to the incredible, amazing, you know, better-than-the-nighttime comedy shows, live delivery of these guys, and they make it fun. And that's why I like the energy here. It's quite frankly, InfoWars, great crew, great people, but it's like you are in a bunker. We've been doing it 20-something years, and it's it's crazy. So, so it's a breath of fresh air to just add this family to what's happening, to be part of this organization, and to have the InfoWars crew now you're becoming part of this organization. I'm just blessed and honored. It's incredible. And at 11 a.m., just coming up in about an hour from now, I'll do my live show out of the classic Stephen Crowder Studios. We're going to have these guys in here with us. It's so exciting. So 11 a.m. Central, InfoWars.com forward slash show and band out video. But I want everybody watching, that means on InfoWars everywhere, to be part of this revolutionary act. You want resistance? You want somebody to stand up? You want somebody to fight? Go now to the Mug Club. Go now, ladies and gentlemen, and use the promo codes that are there to get a month off. Do it now. Go to Mug Club. Take action because the globalists want war. They want to destroy us. Well, guess what? We didn't start this fight. We don't want it. But if you want to fight, you better believe Now, that's hilarious that in terms of video production, right at the peak as he's saying that, they cut the video and it says, this show is not safe for YouTube. We are still live on Rumble. So more brilliant marketing, actually, because it forces you to or incentivizes you to go to the more free platform. Now, say what you want about Alex Jones, but... He's damn good at getting the crowd riled up and selling because pretty persuasive, I may would say a pretty persuasive speech, I would think. So it'll be interesting to see as alternative social media as well as the consumable streaming platforms grow ever exponentially, how many people are going to support them and join the Bug Club? Time shall tell, but it looks like they're off to a darn good, compelling start. Other interesting cultural news, you have Threads user crashed by 82%. Now... This was what was one of the fastest growing apps. They had, I believe, uh, 50 to 100 million signups in one week. It was going to kill Twitter. Twitter's dead. Everyone, every major news outlet said, Twitter's gone. It's useless. It's all about the threads. Well, not so much. It looks like the threads daily active users by August 1st, the number of daily active users went down to 9.6 million. 
Engagement is also way down earlier in the lifespan. This is according to SimilarWeb's data, and they show that the time spent on the app in all available markets peaked on July 6th at about 14 minutes per day, which is not good for an app. That's how you get advertisers. You'll tell them the rates at which people open your app and then how much time they have their eyeballs glued to the app. So it went from 14 minutes a day all the way down to 2.3 minutes a day by August 1st. That is basically useless. And in terms of people leaving the platform, that's clever in terms of Facebook had it in such a way that the only way you can delete the Threads app is if you were to delete your Instagram, which apparently is an extremely popular app that people love and they're addicted to. So they're not going to do that. So I suspect we don't see a huge user crash in terms of the number of users assigned or that have profiles on the platform. But we're seeing right here the active users crash to the ground. And for selling ads and monetizing applications, streaming services, videos, really it's all about active engagements, whether it's having a lot of comments on your videos, which appreciate the comments because it also helps the channel grow and develop. But it's also how long are they staying on the video? How long are they on this app? These numbers, they're not going to get hardly any real ad sales. They have some right now, but it seems to be the major, major big, you know, Fortune 500 companies where they see it as a political safe bet where there's less controversy on the app as opposed to Twitter, which is, well, inherently has more free speech. Well, used to, we'll get back in a little bit, but it's astronomical to see yet another example of Facebook, at least, or Facebook Meta, also known as me, Feta. That might be a good pejorative term if you don't like them. There's bad, they smell as bad as feta cheese. I don't know, that might be a pastry pun, let me know, or confectionery. Let me know in the comments, there's a, there's a kernel of an idea right there. But what was gonna be one of the best upcoming apps is precipitously now basically nothing as people are still using Twitter because it has what is most important, it has the active user base and people use it very often. So I suspect Twitter will just continue to grow. But I say, time shall tell. Other interesting culture news, you have Best Buy banning white people from a management track. Now, Best Buy historically, you know, based or headquartered over in Minnesota, they're much more, on average, I'd say, politically left-leaning. You had a couple years back, a phenomenon or a situation in which you had Kyle Rittenhouse go to defend some store owners during one of the riots. And in court and legally, he successfully defended himself where he had two people attack him and threaten his life, and he shot two of them. Now, it's also just interestingly to note that the two people he just happened to shot used to be, turned out to be the most morally vacuous people in society. One of them was actually a convicted child predator, which also shows the Minnesota justice system that the person was not behind bars. But nevertheless, there's a lot of controversy. People thought it was a racial issue because it was during the, um, the BLM movement. And the Although this is a white kid shooting two white guys, so a lot of people didn't get past the headline apparently. But I read this because when Best Buy, you know, during this whole situation, which again, they sell electronics that usually sometimes work, they actually sent out a memo internally to Best Buy from the company's chief inclusion, diversity, and talent officer, Mark Irvin, who encouraged those affected by that trial to, quote, take advantage of our mental health services, including the Life Solutions Counseling Services, unquote. Which, again, someone successfully defended themselves and they're not convicted. One, I... It's astonishing that many people were crying that that happened. But again, people don't read past the headlines, unfortunately. Now, this news actually broke thanks to the O'Keefe group, which obviously, or not so obviously, was founded by James O'Keefe, who was actually forced out of the previous company that he founded called Project Veritas. And James has a very good track record of bringing light to the darkness, so to say. And 
highlighting some of these issues that no other mainstream media is ever going to cover. You're not, I highly doubt CNN is going to touch this with a 12-foot pole. Now, it looks like Best Buy had actually partnered with a company by the name of McKenzie Group for their management training course. And the application had a list of requirements, which makes sense. There should be some requirements, although many would debate the United States has basically no requirements for anything or achievements to just exist. But in terms of qualifying for this management training, you have to, one, be a Best Buy employee in good standing, which makes sense. You don't want to be, you can't have, you know, penalties against you. I forget. It's been so long since I've been in corporate America. I used to have, there used to be some type of strike system where, you know, if you're late for work, you get a strike or you can't have any dings on your record, so to say, is the nice way of saying it. The second application qualification says you must have one plus year tenure, which makes sense. They want to make sure you get ROI out of you before they start investing even more in you. And the third, at the third check mark, you have to check this in order to qualify. You have to identify as black, Latino, Hispanic, Asian, or Pacific Islander. So you might notice there's a race missing there. It's, um, oh yeah, um, white candidates. So they, they can't apply, which again, this is illegal on a federal level because you're discriminating based on race, which again, if you wind back the history, if you dust off the 12 inches of dust that's collected on a history book in public schools, which unfortunately they're all time low test scores. So we'll do a little bit of education today. The founding fathers believed and founded the country on the ideal that all men are created equal. And it's astonishing how much the United States is focused in on dividing people based on just the melanin of their skin or their race. A fascinating phenomenon, which is quite concerning, where personally, it's all about merits, all about what you can do, what's your path record, what's your value, what, is your, what are your values? I would argue those are infinitely more important than just what color you have to be. I don't go up to people and say, oh yeah, I'm Cuban. No, no one cares. It's all about what do you stand, what, what values do you hold dear, what are your beliefs, what are your accomplishments? But I partially digress. It'll be interesting to see, going to the actual document that leaked, it's all over Twitter and trending exponentially. And of course, a lot of the comments are saying, you know, any comments and they're tagging Best Buy, which of course, they're really not saying anything at all. And this is, I find it morally vacuous and disgusting that they're cutting off career opportunities and blocking career opportunities to people just based on their race, which they have no control over. I would argue, I think anyone with believes in freedom would argue, and equality, the truly equality is, have you been at Best Buy for a year? That makes sense. Are you employing good standing? That makes sense. That's, what else matters? I mean, those two seems pretty good. Why does your race need to be taken into account? Now, it'll be interesting to see if there are any major lawsuits brought on this, as obviously they discriminated people based on their race. And in terms of PR, probably not great, or maybe it is great. Maybe the people who really like this are going to cheer on Best Buy and give them the accolades and maybe even an award. But in terms of equality, I would say this is the antithesis of equality. It's the opposite. And needless to say, I will not be shopping there anytime soon. But that's just my three cents. Used to be two cents, but for your hyperinflation, got to charge a little more. Although this show is free, but if you click the subscribe button, greatly appreciate it. Now, Going on to more cultural news, you have Twitter having new rules defined for advertising. Now, this makes sense. Uh, Linda Macarena, I'm just kidding, Yacarino, she was the CEO who was brought in by Elon Musk and given her a career track. Most of her career is in advertising. And Twitter's been bleeding money bad. They still haven't made a profit. 
Now they've cut a lot, they trimmed a lot of fat from the equation. Elon got rid of about 6,000 employees. So personally, I would say they're more activist because if you look at the user experience, it's the same, if not better, than when the employees were there. And of course, there are a mirror out of videos showing you know, how they basically just, they would attend a 20 minute meeting and spend the rest of the day playing ping pong, going to the spa and drinking wine on site at the campus. Which for some weird reason, Elon still has a headquarters in San Francisco. That's a huge cost saving, just move it anywhere else because that's one of the most expensive places to live in the United States, also dangerous. But in order to try to attract more advertisements, they're rolling out some new requirements and they're adding new definitions of where would you like your ad to be shown? Now that in and of itself really isn't that controversial. Pretty much every social media platform, even if it's a TV network, when you want, when a business wants to put an advertisement out there, they want to know what content will they be pseudo sponsoring. They're not sponsoring a show or something directly. They're not endorsing it, but it's going to appear before, after, or during specific time slots, which has specific shows. Now it looks like the new set, new settings are called, of course, sensitivity settings, which, eh, C minus for marketing, I guess. Now it goes on to say, reduce agencies to varying levels to sensitive content on the quote for you unquote timeline. According to your brand sensitivity threshold, standard sensitivity is selected by default. Now there's actually three categories. Now, the ironically, this is hilarious. The one to the very right, most strict one is called conservative, which is ironic because that's usually the content that is discriminated against the most. Now their definition is shows alongside limited content for brands with strict sensitive uh, thresholds. Those being uh, avoidance example, targeted hate speech, sexual content, gratuitous gore, excessive profanity, obscenity, spam, drugs. Now, I don't know why there's discriminating against the pseudo meat food known as spam. Now granted, I would never voluntarily eat spam, but it's disgusting to see they would discriminate against a food brand like that. I'm kidding, obviously, or not so much. That was a joke. Now, again, the issue is hate speech. That definition means nothing because every platform, heck, every person you meet in life, that's gonna mean something else. This is almost as bad as the ambiguity that American politicians put into laws where there's so much gray area, you can manipulate it to mean whatever you want it to be. People on the left, people on the right. That's one of the most frustrating things and perhaps that's why lawyering or law is such a huge industry in and of itself. So you have the conservative one, then you have the standard setting. Now the standard one, that description of standard is, runs ads alongside a reduced range of content for brands with moderate threshold sensitivity. Example, um, avoidance, avoidance examples, including targeted hate speech. So, so they're both targeted, I missed that one word. Targeted, against what, whom, or how? They don't define it because they want that gray area. Also including explicit sexual content, gratuitous gore, excessive profanity. Now, that again is annoying because what words are profanity? Now, personally, I try to keep this more pseudo family friendly. I'll, I try to say, you know, earmuffs if I'm going to use a pejorative term or profanity. But again, you really want the devil's in the details from an advertisers perspective as well. I would think they would want, cause I know like even ratings on movies, PG 13, which also goes to the moral downside of the United States. Now you can actually say the F word, I think multiple two or three times. When I was a kid, you weren't allowed to say it once. It's also shows it's a sliding scale. Also known as, you know, the snowball fact or the slippery slope theory, which is more of a fact these days. But yeah, they don't tell you which, what their definition of profanity is or what specific words. Now that would help advertisers more if they know which category are gonna have which specific words because they might 
be okay with saying a dam or something. That might be acceptable. Perhaps they were maybe just talking about beavers or something, which is ironically hilarious enough. Also, perhaps a pejorative or sexual term depending on who you talk to. So there's a lot of gray areas when it comes to these definitions, which makes advertisers' jobs a little bit harder as they're trying to find where it makes sense to put their advertising dollars. Now, the third standard that you're going to have, which they said this is coming soon, is relaxed. Now, the description of that is show ads alongside some sensitive content to maximum reach. Okay, that almost sounds good because you're going to get the maximum reach. And then it, the avoidance examples is that of that is targeted hate speech, which again, no one can define, explicit sexual content. So I guess for that category, it's, I mean, you could say whatever you want in terms of swearing or, um, but even hate speech, there's some swears that would be considered hate speech. So even not that, even not then perhaps, but why don't they just have a everything? Or like, why don't they just have the an additional one where they just everything? Because there are some brands where they want to sponsor everything because maybe it's a product which is a commodity or something that literally every group wants or needs and they're not concerned about being on a, sh on a TV show or having an ad under a video that has a swear or they talk about something like that. So it is interesting to see these are rolling out specifically because advertisers do need guidance when they're looking at these ads and where to put them. But it's also concerning because again, a lot of this is in the gray and not really defining it at all. So it'll be interesting to see, is this enough to bring back some of the advertisers? Because Elon's lost 50% of the advertisers since he took over Twitter. So I was gonna say, I know math scores are all time low in the United States. That's half, 50%. So half that Apple, if you have an Apple, half of it's gone. And again, Elon's trying to make this thing profitable. He's also trying to make it the all in one app. And part of that is gonna be making a profit. And given his track record in business, he will probably be able to do it but it'll be interesting to see, as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting cultural news, you have Twitter fined $350,000 for protecting Trump's Twitter account. Now, specifically, they were fined for missing a deadline to comply with a search warrant for records related to Donald Trump's account per a newly unsealed opinion. It looks like the district court, uh, district circuit court sanctioned plus rejected Twitter's opposition to a non-disclosure. This is under Obama's appointed Judge Beryl Howell, held that Twitter was in contempt and imposed a six-figure fine for not overturning Trump's Twitter account to Biden's special counsel so Jack Smith could um, examine Trump's deleted tweets. Now, that being said, for how much Trump... I can't imagine... What's the volume of tweets he deleted? He's tweeted such a high volume of tweets... I can't, I can't imagine he deleted any. Don't get, don't get me wrong, he, he might have. But it's funny to think, like, we thought he tweeted a lot, but it might have even been more than we saw if he deleted some of them. Although there's so many tracking things online, I almost wonder. So just looking at his profile, and again, I don't think he's, he has, he's not tweeted since he started True Social, partially because Twitter banned him, Elon, I did bring him back so he has the ability to tweet now, but many speculate there's a little bit of an agreement with True Social where he has to put a message there first and then he's allowed to tweet. Politically speaking, I'm surprised he's not active more on Twitter because for him it's a mechanism that could get him more voters and well, obviously he'll piss off people because he does that as well, but maybe get some more people in the middle and it will certainly make his many of his fan base already maybe happier because they're of course, say what you want. They're, they're entertaining. The media all loved it. Made great news. Now, for some odd reason, looking at his profile, 
I'm not seeing the total number of tweets. Because if you go to someone's profile, I thought it actually would give you that counter and actually tell you exactly how many they had done. Perhaps do you need to follow them first? Why is this? Mm hmm. No, that's interesting. Maybe it's a celebrity thing. So I'm looking at Joe Rogan's Twitter, and I do not see. I'm not seeing that counter as well. So that's interesting. I'm not. But it's also interesting to note that so Twitter, rudimentally speaking, they're being forced to sign an NDA, so they're not even allowed to tell people that the government is trying to data mine this as they continue to go after Trump and try to get as much evidence, if any, real, that they can. That's what the courts will eventually prove. But it's interesting to see, granted, that's nothing in terms of fiscally for Elon or Twitter, like $350,000 compared to the, the millions they're losing right now, just tack that onto the bill. But it's interesting to see the government, I guarantee you, they would acquiesce immediately if it was under the old ownership, well, they already were working hand-in-hand -hand with the FBI. But it's interesting to see Twitter pushing back a little bit against this government interference, and we'll see what happens if they're held in contempt longer or if they're fined even more. It'll be interesting to see. Time shall tell. Other interesting culture news, you have Ikea opening up a store in San Francisco, which they better have some good armed security because that city is in precipitously dropping in quality in pretty much every metric. They're in huge trouble, but it's a culture they embraced and get what you vote for. Now, this is coming as multiple businesses are leaving in droves. Now, this is from a cursory online search of eight, well, maybe two minutes research. So in the past couple of years, they've lost, and again, this is the headquarters, but they lost a Whole Foods store where there was hundreds of police incidents in a single year. All of their carts were stolen, of course. You had Nordstrom, again, not the headquarters, but the store. Cinemark, another store, not the headquarters. You also had the headquarters of Homelite, Charles Schwab, Tanium, Kelly Moore Paint, Tesla, Digital Realty. A lot of companies are leaving San Francisco in droves. For a myriad of reasons, also political, because in terms of the tax rates, they are quite expensive. And it used to be a beautiful city in terms of scenery, the ambiance. But the crime is just spiking exponentially. It's not safe to run a business there anymore. They're, their theft is so high. During a recent CNN re, um, reporter, they actually went to CVS or, uh, well, not a Walgreens, CVS? I it was a CVS store. And within them reporting, just being in the store, they had three people go to the store and steal stuff, and no one stops them. That's the culture they built in that city, is a culture that embraces crime, rampant drug use, rampant homelessness. Many ask why, well, you'd have to ask them, I'm not quite sure why, but it's gotten so bad, they're locking freezers in Walgreens or CVS, one of the two stores, so they have chains around the freezers, and even toothpaste is behind locked plexiglass at some of the stores. So the few stores that are still there, they're losing money, I guarantee it. I don't know if they're considering a loss leader because they still want to reach the audience that's still there. You want to keep the brand there, but it's astronomical what's happening. Now, in terms of business-wise, they always say buy low, sell high. If you want to buy real estate or anything in San Francisco, I can't help but think now's the time to buy because all the businesses are leaving. So there's plenty of space, which is usually something you're not here in San Francisco. It's very populous dense. That's one of the reasons housing traditionally is so expensive. It's artificially suppressing the housing market with the laws that say basically you can't build new stuff. Rudimentally speaking, that's a good little synapse or a little summary of that scenario. So maybe IKEA is thinking this real estate is going down in value. Eventually the city will bounce back. Perhaps culturally they'd have to change a lot. 
And they're planning on apparently opening up a 52,000 square foot store over here in Union Square. Now, the store will also anchor a new mall owned by developer Inga Centres, which is part of the IKEA parent company, Ingita Group, that will have restaurants, other shops, and co-working space. And the city's the city officials who still have their jobs because the people love them because they're doing such a great job, apparently. Now, the city officials are hoping it has a halo effect. Now, a more traditional term, a more accurate term, would be an anchor store. If you look at malls traditionally throughout the, cent throughout the years, you usually have an anchor store, the biggest name there to draw attention. It used to be a you know, good old JCPenney or a Sears. And if you go to a store or go to a mall, that would be the biggest store there, and all the stores would build around it. And you'd have that multiplier effect where you go for that store. Well, while you're there, why not hot stop at the American shop for at the Hot Topic for some gothy clothing? Or uh, what else do people shop for? Or Spencer's for some novelty glyphs. Or GameStop for a used, a used game, perhaps. So there's a big benefit of having the anchor store for a mall specifically. But culturally speaking, IKEA thrives in people places that are growing because you know a lot of people are more transit with your maybe college kids. You're going there to get the furniture. It's mostly disposable. I mean, personally, I like to build stuff that'll last god darn near 100 years or more. I mean, this is a 150-year-old barn wood that I put some epoxy on. And I built 100. I built by hand. Well, I had tools, but I built it, and this thing will last forever. Granted, this costs probably 10 times more than a table from IKEA. I believe the epoxy alone was a couple hundred bucks, so it's quite expensive, but. Damn, damn durable, and made in USA with USA components. All the components made in USA. I kind of pride myself in that regard. So I can't help but wonder, are they just thinking there's going to be an exponential increase in people moving to San Francisco? I I doubt that. Culturally speaking, people are more and more worried about their paychecks. They're, it's a high-tax city, high cost of living. I don't know if maybe IKEA is just more altruistic. I mean, earlier this year, they did announce they are opening up several stores in the United States. But... Why not go to somewhere that's growing exponentially, like somewhere maybe in Florida, Texas, the Carolinas? Like, there are a lot of states where pretty much all businesses are leaving and going to those states. So I find it fascinating from a culture perspective. Maybe the Swedish-based company, maybe they just have more faith in San Francisco than most Americans. And maybe they do just want to buy cheap or see they see an opportunity we don't. I'll be interested to see how the city rewards them. I can't help but see every other business suffering from rampant, rampant, rampant theft. Perhaps the boxes at IKEA will be a little bit too heavy for them to pick up. Or the ultimate troll move is they actually remove the the, the store of IKEA. This is how they're going to do it. Mark my words. Brilliant business idea. This is a free one. The store of IKEA will just remove five parts from everything they sell. So they'll steal it, but then they'll come back and they'll buy the five parts. Obviously, I'm joking. They're not going to come back and pay for anything. But it'll be fascinating to see where they go from here. And is it profitable? I am highly skeptical. But as I always say... Time shall tell. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Minnesota. They're having deflation, partially thanks to manipulating the free market. Now, the Twin Cities is now the only U.S. metropolitan area to bring in inflation below the federal target of 2%. And this is thanks to an aggressive push to make housing, quote-unquote, more affordable. Now, it looks like in 2019, Minnesota killed zoning that allowed for single-family homes and since 2018, it's in, invested, I would say stolen, over $300 million in rental assistance and subsidies. Now, one of those things where the road to hell is always paved with good intentions. I can't help but wonder the long-term ramifications of this area. Now, 
for business and geography, there's a lot of reasons Minnesota isn't the hottest spot to be. There are only a handful of large companies headquartered there, famously, or if you're a business uh, nerd like me, 3M's been headquartered there for the longest time. So they're the largest engineering firm on the planet in terms of darn near everything we enjoy from Scotch Tape is their brand that they own. I mean, Sticky Notes, which ironically was invented by Axtip by someone who worked there. They have some great people who work there and some fantastic engineering capabilities, and they are headquartered in Minnesota. Now, it's also one of those issues where it's one of the most expensive places to live, and it's burdensome, politically speaking. I say that because in 2021, they had the sixth highest income tax and the second highest corporate tax. Now, I live in the land of the free, so thankfully, I don't have an income tax, personally. Business-wise, yes, Texas does have some income tax, or corporate tax, that being, but... I can't imagine going to a state, giving the federal government 40%, and then the state another 10, 20, I don't know what percentage it is there, but it's the sixth highest. And of course, it is funny to see the LinkedIn article that highlighted this phenomenon. They didn't talk about, well, what's the rate of people moving there? It is, there are people moving there, don't get me wrong. They're not losing people like California in terms of their total population displacements, but it's not one of the hottest places to move, partially because it's cold and frigid. Gotta be, gotta be pretty darn tough to live it, make it up there. But they, you can't buy a single family house. So is it a great place to raise a family? Most people, again, the, the cliche American dream is having a white picket fence. You got the, the garage, the house, ideally a Corvette with three pedals or maybe a Mustang with three pedals, you know, manual transmission, the best thing since sliced bread. But I digress. It'll be interesting politically speaking. They're manipulating the market now just the headlines is that enough for people to maybe flock over there or increase the number of people moving to minnesota will it keep the people in power because again 300 million dollars in rental assistance and subsidies they're taking it from it's a government they take it from you they're not they don't make anything so it'll be interesting to see do people stand for this do they like this or will they just uh will they move somewhere else it'll be interesting time shall tell other interesting political news, you have Kevin McCarthy demanding Joe Biden show his bank statements. Now, this is because there are maybe an impeachment for Joe Biden for possibly getting kickbacks from his son, Hunter Biden. Now, it's certainly, politically speaking, a good move on the chessboard to talk, which is usually what Republicans are, do, are good for. You usually don't see a lot of follow through. I mean, I always like to point to gun rights. The NFA is still in place. It's been in place since 1934. They claim they're going to get the suppressors delisted from the NFA, so it'd be a standard 4473 background check and, or sorry, 4473 paperwork and ba standard background check. They gave up on that completely. They had momentum. They were going to get it. They didn't even vote on it. So, needless to say, I'm not. I'm a. I would say I'm more politically alienated or homeless, so to say, just because you get a tax break every once in a while from Republicans, which does help for business. Don't get me wrong; it's appreciated. But were they really fighting the good fight? I. It's minuscule. It's so small, perhaps you need a telescope to see. Now, again, they're saying they demand their bank statements. They might impeach them. They, they won't. Democrats are much more organized and much more better in terms of they'll do what they say. If they're going to impeach Trump, they're going to put every effort, they're going to use every mechanism the government has to go after Trump. And they're going to get him, they're going to try to impeach him multiple times. Say what you want about Democrats, but they're, in that case, they're a man of their word. Now, granted, in many of their instances, they might be two-faced when it comes to taking away guns or increase the taxes, but it, let me know in the comments, do you think, is the Republican Party really going to impeach, impeach Biden? Will anything really concrete happen from this? 
We've heard things like this from the GOP for years. Like the GOP Republicans said they were going to repeal the Affordable Health Care Act, which was pejoratively known or probably known as Obamacare. I think Obama actually probably likes the uh, name. So perhaps it's not as pejorative as people think it is. But for years, Republicans said, oh, yeah, vote, get me in office and we'll, we'll get rid of that Affordable Health Care Act. We'll decrease the cost of your health care. We'll get the government out of your health care. So you stop manipulating prices. We'll do that for you. So people voted Republicans in power and they did nothing. So perhaps call me pessimistic or I see the, I see the glass half full in this case, but I would say it's half full because it's half full of um, Bud Light maybe. That'd be a good metaphor. So they're demanding the bag statements, but will he ever really be tried or impeached? No, I, if I were a gambling man, I would say the Magic 8 Ball says outlook, not so good. Now, going over to the business blunder of the day, we have Detroit's Big Three versus the UAW as the negotiations heat up. Now, traditionally, the Big Three was known as the Big Three automotive companies in the United States, which used to be Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, because at one time, they were the Apple of the United States. They had the best, most reliable cars. I know, we're, wind we're winding back the clock quite some time since the quality in not every vehicle, but in some vehicles are, you know, laughable to say the least. But it was the pinnacle of Detroit. Detroit used to be the richest, most successful city in the United States. That's how far ago this term came from. The comes from the big three. Because they're all headquartered around Detroit. General Motors is downtown Detroit. I know um, at least Ford, they're over in uh, Dearborn. A couple, a little bit north, I believe. And Chrysler, yeah, Chrysler, uh, I think they're right around the corner. Needless to say, you understand now where the, where the word comes from. Now, the business blunder, of course, comes from the UAW. Now, the UAW is the United Auto Workers. They are the largest union for, as it might say, or it might sound, the automotive industry. Now, it's one of those precarious, one of those issues where not every time, I don't, one of those things some people might say I'm anti-union. I would say most of the time it's disadvantageous to the business, the end user, and the employee to have that relationship where it's kind of like a divorce attorney. If you have a disagreement with your wife or your partner or, or husband, it's always best to go one-on-one. -on -one and sharpen those communication skills, have those difficult topics, you know, really talk about the situation and come to an agreement. The worst thing I would say is getting a divorce attorney involved or heaven forbid, again, not all therapists, but like a therapist who inherently is going to take one person's side unless they're a good therapist. Those are few and far in between. But once you have that divorce attorney, it always gets uglier. The, discuss the discussions get more heated. The the amount of money that you're bleeding, not just because you're losing more in the divorce, but now you're paying someone to rob you. I mean, take money from you. So you have the attorneys which are making money. They profit off the conflict. And in many cases, the UAW is no different than that. And it's also one of those issues where the UAW helps politicians, I would argue, more than the lower level employees who are trying to benefit from the benefits of what they perceive as a union. One of the best use cases is when President Obama was first running during the 2007 campaign to become president in 2008, one of the biggest contributors to his campaign was the UAW. So think of all the dues and the fees that the union is taking from the frontline workers, they're giving it to politicians. The theory is it's morally vacuous, but the politicians then give them lucrative contracts, such as the teachers unions. It's one of those corrupt things that people really don't talk about because mostly corruption is focused on, well, mainstream media, what they do on the right side of the aisle. Personally, why not expose and put light on all of the issues on all sides of the aisle? But Nevertheless, they have these issues for the longest time where they're doing to more to politicians, increasing the cost of goods sold to the vehicle, less, and 
it's usually again these numbers average but there may estimates that the cost of a gm vehicle or a chrysler or a ford vehicle is about two to three grand more than what would be a vehicle made by a non-union company now in terms of the culture of a union which again unions they really just incentivize tenure not performance more often than not aka get paid to do you know just stay there longest they estimated during the 2000 what was it 2008 bankruptcy of general motors one of the biggest contributing reasons was the union it was the pensions which are an outdated idea that used to be great but there's not fiscally not fiscally possible for most companies these days the healthcare benefits to them and then just unions in general they crippled general motors they had to declare bankruptcy in 2008 they've done it they declared bankruptcy multiple times but that person i remember an article when they talk about like the dues and the cost of goods sold one of the articles in 2008 they're talking about for to have a frontline unionized employee put a tire on a car that person was making 68 dollars an hour to put a tire on a car and again that's i don't know again well, obviously they went bankrupt in 08 so it wasn't fiscally prudent to do that or sustainable but they have a machine to do it too that was that was another thing that blew my mind so this person has a machine like a, a glorified wheelbarrow with motors and engine you know, stuff so the machine they take it the machine picks up the tire they click some buttons it moves up push the tire on they click more buttons and it screws all five lug nuts in at once so it's already highly mechanized so again i'm not saying it's an easy job well i would say it's easier than manually doing all that but more and more of the jobs being offset and made easier thanks to technology but they just want more and more money the biggest issue with the unions is that i would also say on average they only want the upside when times get tough they will fight tooth and nail not to give up a penny of their income but when it's good times they don't want to take all the profits so the company cannot reinvest into the business now a couple of their demands and again this is a fluid negotiation it's going back and forth they want to have double digit pay raises they want a defined pension benefits for all employees they want temporary uh, restricting the use of temporary workers as some people call them pejoratively scabs that's going to the people who are not unionized if Mary Barr was prudent they would hire them exponentially increase that they want increased pay time off they want a 32 hour work week and people as a lot of people say pejoratively that the UAW is lazy well if you talk to people in management you've hear you've heard the stories where they sit around and they like to smoke but they they will move one I remember this is anecdotally speaking I have some relatives who are in a manufacturing plant a couple years oh quite some time I think it was 90s but they were saying in order to move a body like for a vehicle body from one side of the factory to the other they would have to have two written orders or two like written requests and they were having someone just they had three guys sitting around the body one guy would push it but they wouldn't do it till like the last minute of the day so they would say that task took the whole day when in reality they had the one guy of the three who were assigned to the job move it at the very last minute of the day in like 15 minutes that's perhaps a good anecdotal although a good metaphor for these unions now the uaw president is quite vocal about his opposition and basically in my opinion making it a lose-lose situation now the new president is sean uh, sean fain and he literally took the offer from stellantis which is the european conglomerate which bought out um well it was fiat but they rebranded as stellantis they bought out chrysler during the bankruptcy of 08 and he threw the offer in the trash literally now in terms of marketing and you know a metaphor and being bombastic that's a good way to get your message across but they're complaining in these videos and they have a lot of propaganda i mean uh, marketing gear and 
in the videos they specifically say oh yeah you know general motors they made so much they're making all these profits right now we we want more of these profits again they want the upside not the downside not the risk now of course the issue that again they're also fighting ev adoption which I'm one of those folks where I prefer every vehicle to have three pedals, also known as a manual transmission. Infinitely more fun, also more reliable in terms of you don't need to wait, you know, software updates to have someone lock your car down from a half a uh, half a globe away. But it's one of those issues where they're starting to realize, oh yeah, times are going to get tough for the UAW because you don't need as many people to put together an EV in terms of the assembly. You're going to have more educated or more higher ed jobs where you're going to have software engineers, you're going to have to have you're going to have to have really good engineering to put the physical components together but those are people with college degrees plus now the uaw realizes that so they're going to see a decrease in those jobs they're also worried that oh wait a minute the um what was it those battery plants that they're being made in the united states which is good they're making battery plants but they actually um they're not unionized thankfully because again they need to keep these costs down and help the consumers now i can't help but also notice in terms of reliability guess what doesn't have a union tesla which is the most American brand right now. If you look at cars.com, they did an evaluation of top 100 American brands and American vehicles. And they look at the assembly location that it takes place in the vehicle and the components where the components made. Tesla and Acura had the top 10 between the different models that they carry. Tesla, that's not unionized. They actually give their employees stock, which gives them a huge incentive. So again, if I was the CEO of General Motors or any of these companies, I would tell the unions, would you rather invest in this company? We'll get rid of the unions. We'll give you stock and give you more of a active incentive to help grow the company and perform now granted may, maybe them probably don't want that they just want to sit back and collect an exponentially greater paycheck but they're in a lot of trouble because guess what also doesn't have a union toyota honda the most valuable and the most reliable car brands don't have unions now many people also talk about japanese culture and kaizen where they're actually incentivized with they see an issue on the problem with the vehicle Anytime in the production, they're actually told and encouraged to bring that to your attention so they can fix it there. Other companies, like American automotive companies, they just say, eh, we'll fix that at the end. Make a note. So there is also cultural differences between these companies as well. But, and there's a whole pride thing. I can't help but notice the most reliable vehicles are not made by unions. They're also cheaper because of that, in terms of they don't have the union dues. They don't have the union pay. So it's one of those issues where they're complaining, the unions at the UAW, complaining that GM, Stellantis, and Ford, they're making big profits right now. But that's going to be very temporary because guess what? They all want to go EV. That's going to cost them a huge sum of money. I mean, Ford made a profit for Ford Blue. Ford Blue is the traditional Ford that you and I know and love. The Ford Mustang, not the bastardized EMOC, the Ford Mustang with three pedals and a V8. You have the traditional Ford internal combustion engine F-150. Ford Blue is doing great. Ford Blue, that division is making huge profits. Guess what's on track to lose three to four billion dollars this year? Ford EV, which I think they called Ford E or Ford Mach-E. Something they should get an F minus or maybe an F plus for marketing because it wasn't very catchy. And I'm, I would say I'm a pretty big gearhead and even I don't remember it. So they're having these huge profits, but they're reinvesting back in the company as businesses should do and they need to do to stay competitive. If Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, really wants to get full EV by 2035, Cadillac, she wants to have full EV by 2030, they need to be putting every penny of that profit back into the company so they can reinvest and set up these huge engineering fees, not just the assembly. We're going to have massive machines. They're going to have to adopt some technology like Tesla. We have the Gigapress, which is a huge, expensive machine 
which does over time save you money, but it's a huge upfront investment. Anytime making a new vehicle, that's why you see so many few new vehicles being made. It's because of the huge upfront cost. You have the stamping machines, so you have to stamp out the unique body panels, newer engines. But this is all those issues where they're being, in my opinion, they're being more short-sighted. If they really have, why have a more collaborative approach, come to the table and understand you have a fluid dynamic situation where they're trying to compete with Tesla. And they've said multiple times, specifically Mary Barra, that they're cutting their costs. They're actually, they got rid of a lot of the corporate staff or the staff inside the headquarters or Detroit. Because again, they're trying to compete with the competition and the competition is fierce and exponentially growing. And it's very, competition, there's a lot out there. And I don't think a lot of them are going to make it to be frank. This is a big risk. And again, the, the EV adoption rate is not at the point at which the government would like. And you're seeing a slower adoption rate of EVs. There are a lot of first generation adoptions when it comes to any new technology from laptops to cars. There are some people who will always pay more to be the first because they are very technologically driven. They perhaps see some social status from that. But it's one of those issues where those people already have it. Everyone who wanted an EV has one by now in terms of the first, they really the early adopters. What's remaining are the people who are questioning longevity of EVs, not just reliability, but is it going to last 10 years? No, not with, the, not with the current battery technology we have now. That's why the best ROI, or if you look at a vehicle as having a return on investment, one of the best things you buy is just a good old Toyota Corolla, the best selling vehicle in history by number of units sold. Get a Toyota with an internal combustion engine, it'll last a quarter of a century and a million miles if you take care of it. That's not happening with an EV right now. They're glorified disposable smartphones. Just even as recently as two months ago, Mercedes is the first automobile company to say they're opening up a recycling plant, I believe over in Germany, where they can take back the old cars and try to get some of the uh, precious metals. But even then, that car's not gonna last 10, 15, 20 years. So again, a wise philosopher, much more smarter than me, Thomas Sewell said, there's no solutions, only trade-offs. And I don't think enough people are having those discussions around trade-offs. And these companies need to be scared to death of the union relationship. If they don't build a, and again, it's hard because you have this third party, it's, I would say is adversarial by default. If they don't come to an agreement, this could cripple the companies. They could even put them out of business if they're not careful. So it'd be interesting to see, but I guess the business blunder is a long-term one. Really, I believe the key is to have a positive relationship with the employees before it gets to the point where they feel they've been taken advantage of and they have to bring in a third party, they have to bring in someone who is just adversarial by default. And again, it's just increasing the cost for everyone. No, I don't see anyone happy in this situation. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here, but. Needless to say, it's a long-term one, but that has to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to tune in. We're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of August, so if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to, the time to, forget to take the time to like and subscribe and comment. The comments help the channel grow and develop and greatly appreciate them. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.